Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 84. Application Programming Interfaces, APIs. We hear a lot about them, and their use is really taking off in healthcare. Providers want to use them to become more efficient and provide better connectivity across their enterprise. Patients are also demanding that providers provide the same modern technology, user experiences, and access to information that we've come to expect in nearly every other user-facing industry. But despite the focus and investment in digital transformation in healthcare, there's still a lack of shared infrastructure across the industry. And when health systems adopt new technologies, interoperability isn't simply a nice-to-have, it's a requirement. But what does interoperability mean anyway? And how can it be achieved without having to start from scratch and repeat the same integrations when thousands of other companies are working to achieve similar goals? What's needed is broad adoption of open tools and standards to build and integrate software from apps to the enterprise. With me to talk about it is Nico Skavaski. He's the co-founder and president of Redox. Nico has a background in economics, and in 2014, he co-founded Redox, a health technology company that accelerates development and distribution of healthcare software solutions to securely and efficiently exchange data. They've partnered with 500 digital health vendors who use the Redox Engine platform to interoperate with nearly 450 healthcare delivery organizations using about 40 different legacy EHR vendors. They also throw one heck of a taco party, so if you're going to any of the major conferences like J.P. Morgan, Hims, South by Southwest, then be sure to join them. Nico, thanks for joining me and welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nico, I was really interested to see the path that you took from economics to founding a technology company, Redox. What gave you the idea to start the company? And tell me a little bit about the services that you're offering there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a little little background is always helpful in understanding this. But essentially what, you know, me and my other co-founders, we all used to work at Epic. And while we were there, we saw a couple things happening in the industry. First off, we saw a lot of new technologies coming to market. So these were things that your traditional electronic health record doesn't do, you know, like direct scheduling with providers or communications with patients you know, patient engagement type applications and things like this, the the sort of large swath of digital health technology coming to market. So we saw that happening in the market. The other thing we saw was that these technologies fundamentally didn't work with the existing IT infrastructure that was out there. They were being developed in the cloud and it was very difficult for them to actually exchange data with the health systems that they needed to work with. So that was the idea behind Redox was how can we make an infrastructure in healthcare that would allow that data to move seamlessly between the legacy electronic health record systems and uh, these new emerging applications that were in the market. So that's what uh, we set out to do. And, And really the way that we do that is we pull the data out of the health systems that these applications work with. We standardize it in our platform in the cloud. Then we make it available to software developers to write their applications on top of. And then they essentially connect to us once and then can work with any of the health systems that are on our network. And they bring in more health systems as they make more sales to different healthcare organizations. And tell me about the business model. Is it sort of a subscription basis? Is it a software as a service? Uh, how, How does it work? Yeah, yeah. So it's very much a modern business model, software as a service. We don't charge for projects or for you know services. It's all kind of lumped into a annual licensing fee. So a software vendor is the one who actually pays Redox, and they really pay us for access to the health systems that they're communicating with. 
So, you know, if, if they're trying to connect up to Cleveland Clinic, we charge them a licensing fee to connect up to that data. And if they're trying to connect up to a health system that's not already on our network, then we get the health system on our network and we then charge them for access to it. So it's a data access um, licensing fee. And you were at Epic when you had the idea to do this. Before that, you had studied economics at Arizona State University. You got your MA from Boston University. What was it that attracted you to the healthcare problem and these opportunities here? Yeah, it was all the tangled hairball of incentives that really attracted me into healthcare. Uh, as I was studying economics and at Boston University, I was really looking for, you know, what could I write a dissertation on? What could I pursue a doctoral studies on? And in looking at the healthcare industry, there's, you know, you can't throw a rock without hitting some misaligned incentive. And so I started diving into all of those, you know, the misaligned incentives between payers and providers and patients and really starting to figure out, you know, what, what could be interesting to write about. And that's what led me to technology, because as soon as you start lifting up some of those rocks, you start understanding of how inefficient our healthcare system is. And inefficiency is something that technology directly attacks. So we as humans use technology to become more efficient. And so understanding that healthcare in general is vastly inefficient. I started looking at why aren't we using technologies to actually improve efficiency within healthcare. And that's what led me to really learning about what electronic health records were. I called up Epic and wanted to talk to them about <laughs> what their technology does and how uh, it works. And of course, as, as many people probably know in the healthcare industry, you can't really just call up Epic and talk to them about that. So I got routed to HR. Uh, they ended up offering me a job, really doing pricing at, at Epic. That's what ended up getting me to really leave my program and go work at Epic to try to pursue that, to, to try to understand how and why technology wasn't being used to drive efficiency gains in the industry. I think Epic was an amazing place to study that problem. And, you know, as an economist, I was looking for the data and immediately realized that the data is not consolidated. The electronic health record doesn't, it didn't really bring together the data in a way where we can do analysis on it across the industry. Epic, for instance, has probably 450 different implementations of their software across the country with their various customers, probably more than that now, actually. And each of those data silos, you know, you can't run a query across all of them and say, you know, show me all the diabetes patients between this age who are male. You can't really do an analysis like that, which I think was the was a big piece of the dream of the EHR and why the government set out to subsidize it, because we thought we would get efficiency gains like that. And, you know, to this day, we still don't have it. And as you could see, that that's definitely been a motivation in Redox as well and kind of coming out of Epic and saying, how can we better solve that problem across the industry and start to see some of these efficiency gains? And you're saying that even though it's an organization like Epic and there are obviously many companies out there, many EMR providers, but you're saying this is all the data is siloed within the people and the organizations that procure those systems. Mm -hmm. You're not able to run an analysis across all the different software, right? That's essentially what you're saying. Exactly. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to throw Epic under the bus here. This is, this is how the, of course. the industry. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, so it's the health system that has their data silo and the EHR vendors is simply following what their customers wanted and what was demanded in the market. It's not like Google or Facebook who sells a product that actually organizes and consolidates data from all of their users in, in one data warehouse where they can actually do analyses is very much the opposite spectrum of that, where each customer, each user, not each user, but you know, each health system customer has their own you know, database that they maintain, that they manage, that they run their own analysis on, but it does not talk to you know, the health system across the street, which would be competitive. Right. Well, and you, you've made me a little nervous to mention any company's names here because I don't want anybody to think that we're picking uh -huh. on any particular companies because this is something that's endemic to the industry. 
But when I think of the word interoperability, I mean, this is something that's been on the headlines of conferences like HIMS for decades, literally. Mm-hmm. I mean, HIMS is over 50 years old. I wonder if there's a record of when the word interoperability began to introduce itself <laughs> as a topic that they were covering at the various HIMS conferences each year. But when I think of that word interoperability, I automatically think of these large enterprise organizations that have massive booths at the HIMSS conference that are staffed by lots of business people wearing suits uh, who are trying to make multi-million dollar sales of their software. But that's sort of, you know, I've been in this industry for 25 years. So that's sort of maybe an old school way of thinking about interoperability, because as we've seen mobile technology and cloud technology come onto the frame, maybe that's the bigger opportunity and perhaps some of the challenges in terms of interoperability. So why is and how is this a barrier to innovation in digital health, what we think of as digital health? Yeah. And I think you, you brought up a good point in that we've been talking about interoperability forever, but it has really this problem and subsequently the solution that needs to be put in place has evolved over the years. It used to be that that interoperability meant all the systems that you have in your data center, how can you help them talk to each other? And a lot of the big EHR vendors, Epic and Cerner, and you know, a few of the other ones, they became very successful because of their ability to create a unified experience for an organization across different areas of care, from registration and scheduling to the actual exam room to follow-up visits to specialty, kind of all under one seamless experience. And that was kind of interoperability of the past. But what we've seen now, and and maybe we can call this interoperability 2.0, is that we're seeing the need for interoperability not to be between different enterprise systems within a healthcare organization per se, but to be uh, with outside systems, outside of the organization. So when a a patient moves from health system A to B, can their data follow them? Uh, When a patient uses an app to interact with their provider or to share data with their family or care team, can that app get that data? And this is really because we've seen this adoption of technology by consumers, right? Everyone has a phone in their pocket. Everyone's using technology to enable their lives. So we're seeing an increased demand in consumers to have a, a digital experience. So that increased demand is tra- is then transferred to the enterprise where they're saying we need to digitally transform the way we deliver care so that we can drive efficiency gains, so that we can have a differentiated digital experience for our patients. And that type of interoperability is very different. Now we're saying, how do we get the data outside of our data center into the cloud in a consistent way that is scalable across many, many different siloed data sets with with different health systems? So the reason why that's a huge barrier to innovation in digital health is that you might have an amazing app that can solve a problem, but if you can't actually integrate it at scale with the health systems that you're serving, then it's not going to get in the hands of patients or providers or whoever the user is where it's actually going to add value. And so as we've seen these new technologies come to market, and you know, the, the venture capital investment in digital health has been record-breaking for the past you know, six years or so, not many of these technologies can actually get past a, a small handful of customers because there's this kind of myth of scale in digital health because each health system that you have to onboard, you have to kind of almost linearly scale your engineering resources to build connections uh, and maintain those connections with each of them. That, of course, increases the cost of the software. And suddenly we have this sort of price death spiral where the price goes up and therefore they buy less of it. And because they buy less of it, price has to go up more. So we have this fundamental market failure in digital health because of a lot of the adoptions at the top end of the adoption curve, which is, you know, how do you actually 
sell into a health system? How do you deploy your software into a health system? And those barriers cause these kind of systematic problems in, in technology adoption. Yeah, I mean, we've really changed the paradigm entirely. I mean, you brought up a really good point in terms of the way, the way that we think of the word interoperability has changed in terms of interoperability within a healthcare system or extraneous to a healthcare system. So that's a, a key thing to see the evolution of technology. And I think it reflects the way that we've changed our expectations and even the way it's procured. You know, these systems used to be top down. Mm -hmm. enterprise-wide, we're going to make this investment. It's going to be a three-year implementation process. But then in about 2007 to 2010, you saw a massive change where people were walking in with their smartphones and saying, I can get a mortgage on my phone, order a new car, and check the video camera on my cats. <laughs> so it's definitely changed. So what are some of the other key challenges that the industry really needs to overcome to allow us to adopt technology faster? Yeah, yeah, there's a few for sure. First and foremost, I think that the way technology is procured needs to change. Really, because the healthcare enterprise has been through the, the adoption of medical records and other sort of big enterprise systems that they've adopted in the past, it's been kind of anti-cloud or dubious of the cloud. And what the cloud has enabled technology to do is essentially move the adoption decision-making down from the halls of IT all the way as close to the end user as possible. So a lot of enterprise tools used in business today are adopted by the end user and then proliferated across the organization based on the rate of adoption and use of that software. So take Slack, for example, right? Slack's business model is not to go into a big corporation and try to sell to IT or sell to you know, an executive. They sell directly to the end user. The end user can deploy it with you know the, a small team so they can start communicating over Slack. And then it, it grows from there organically. It's a bottom-up approach. And in healthcare, we don't really have that now. And so IT really needs to evolve their oversight. And this is about data governance and privacy and security, where essentially if applications meet certain requirements, then you can almost envision a bring-your-own-app type model where providers and patients and care teams can bring whatever app they want to use to enable whatever workflow or use case that they want, as long as it can meet the requirements of privacy, as long as it's not going to you know, get hacked, and as long as it can exchange data in a way that is scalable and it can be monitored by IT. So I think that IT needs to kind of evolve their role in the technology buying process. Nico Skavaski is my guest. He's the co-founder and president of Redox. When we come back, we'll dive into some of the other key market failings in software development for healthcare that, if addressed, can help get software into the hands of users faster and at a lower cost to the vendors and the users. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Nico, before the break, you told us that procurement methods need to change in healthcare. You gave the example of Slack, the collaborative software solution, as a good example of winning enterprise clients and a, a model that could really introduce the possibility of a BYOA, bring your own app model to healthcare. Since you're both an economist and an entrepreneur, I'm curious what you think is the key market failing about how we actually go about building and pricing software for use in healthcare and what can be done to correct for it. So if you ask a health system this question, a lot of them will say, well, a lot of this technology is just too expensive. If you ask the technology vendors this question, they'll say, well, the sales cycles to sell to health systems are just far too long. There's too much bureaucracy you have to jump through. And I think that those 
two complaints are really the same complaint. And this is about asymmetric information in the buying process. So another kind of market failure when it comes to adopting healthcare technology. So what happens is, you know, health systems are risk averse. You know, they've been operating for hundreds of years without your technology. So they're going to, they're going to try to vet it. Right now, it's commonplace that selling a product into a health system enterprise takes about 18 to 24 months. And what happens is because you know, it's going to take a year and a half, two years to sell your product, you have to make sure that the price is high enough to warrant that investment. So vendors will will price their products, you know, in the six figure range to make sure that if they close three deals this year, then that's going to be worth it. What happens then is the healthcare organizations, because it's more expensive, they need to find room in the budget, they need to push it to next year's cycle, they need to vet it more deeply, uh, they need to ask themselves, do I really need this? And all of that extends the sales cycle out further. So it's this perpetuating process of a longer sales cycle creates higher prices, creates longer sales cycle. And if we created an environment where this is getting back to the kind of bring your own app world where an end user with very, very low cost or kind of the freemium models that we're seeing in the in the SaaS industry can adopt a product, find its usage, figure out its value, and then convert to a, a paying model with essentially deploying the software right away, uh, we can kind of cut that that perpetuating process off at its knees and say, if we can get software into the hands of users faster, then we can figure out if it's useful to actually spend money on. It's kind of turning the buying process on its head. But we're, we're very much plagued by that today. It's crazy how expensive some of the software is. You know, earlier, you mentioned a whole bunch of consumer type experiences that software has enabled, like watching your cat <laughs> flicking a, a treat to your dog from your phone, right, with a camera on it. That software is so inexpensive. But you take the same sort of technology and you change the context and you put a patient in a video, right? Telehealth, right? Um, some of these solutions, remote patient monitoring, these corollary digital health solutions, and suddenly they cost six figures to implement in the market. It's literally the same software. It's not about the cost of developing that software. It is about the barriers to adoption of it that increase that price. Yeah. And it, it's actually something I, I I mean, I've been in healthcare for decades now. So it is a problem and people sometimes look at you know, what companies charge and they say, gosh, you know, you're really, you know, just extorting the the customer on this. And those things that that long sales cycle has a cost. You need to keep salespeople, you need to keep marketing people, you need to keep regulatory files up to date, you need to keep developers working, you need to develop the next generation of products. And the longer it takes for those things to convert from a great idea to money in the bank, that's a cost that the company needs to finance. And that's a, a real concern. That's a really good point, that sort of perpetuating loop. Anything else that's sort of a, a challenge that if we overcome it, we can adopt technology more quickly? <laughs> well, inherent to all the challenges I've talked about is this interoperability barrier. I think if we can get access to data uh, and make it turnkey and make it seamless, it is one of the biggest frictions that we can remove from that technology adoption process. Because, of course, not only the cost of the actual financial transaction that has to take place between a software vendor and a healthcare organization, uh, beyond that is the change management and implementation deployment costs of actually getting that software live in their environment. And I think with seamless interoperability, we can really reduce that. And if we can reduce that, we can get to that sort of ideal world that Slack has created with, with the cloud and with their you know innovative go-to-market process of can we actually get it in the hands of a consumer before we have to charge for it, before we have to go through a huge process. Because I don't think we have an innovation problem in healthcare. These applications exist. VCs are putting money into entrepreneurs who are 
creating these solutions. We don't have an innovation problem. We have an adoption problem. The problem is that it's very difficult for the software to cross the chasm and actually get into mainstream adoption. Like, heck, we have CPT codes for telehealth already. It's been on the market for a decade plus, but I still don't have an option to do a remote visit with my provider. It hasn't reached mainstream adoption. We're still in the kind of early adopter phase of the technology adoption curve. It's not just an implementation problem. It's a business model problem. Yep. And part of that business model problem is how do they justify the cost? And if they can reduce the friction, which is essentially what you're talking about in these various ways, is if you can reduce the friction in the process, make things move faster, more seamlessly, then suddenly you can find the monetization models and then the cost will decline because you're able to sell things faster and and get to cash more quickly. I should point out that where we've seen business model innovation is actually where we've seen a lot of technology adoption. So of course, Redox supports a lot of new technologies coming to market. And some of the areas where we've seen a lot of emerging technology succeed is in is in orthopedics. You know, they were the kind of first to, to move towards this value-based care bundled payments model. And so it changed the incentives around what was valuable in providing care for patients. And so we see a lot of orthopedics, you know, digitally uh, enabled orthopedics type companies succeeding in that market. Another one is social determinants of health. We see a lot in there because suddenly if you care about when a patient is readmitted to the hospital after being discharged, you have to care about social determinants of health. Where are they going? What food are they eating? What services do they have on the outside? There's lots of companies we work with that help support that ecosystem for when a patient walks out the door of the hospital when they're discharged. So we're seeing that sort of innovation take hold, especially with the move towards value-based care. So I'm optimistic that we're going to see more and more of that technology adoption as the business model shift. Part of the trouble here is that a lot of these systems that are in use were designed well before cloud computing was even really conceived, much less implemented. Uh, But they need to work in really a world now where everything's becoming cloud-based. All of our apps that we rely on are depending on the cloud to access data. And in the healthcare setting, how can cloud-based apps or apps that rely on cloud connectivity get access to the organization's underlying data? Yeah, everyone's trying to figure that out. Um, That's what I was hoping you could tell me, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I have my way of doing it. But yeah, so first off, there's, um, I don't think that our incumbent kind of legacy vendors are going to successfully navigate the transition to the cloud. Um, This is your classic kind of innovator's dilemma problem where the margins that they make, that they command in an on-premise world, are way higher than what margins cloud-based applications are commanding, you know, at a per customer basis. So they're not going to essentially cannibalize their own business by trying to reduce the the prices that they command from their customers. So we're seeing new entrants come into the market to provide solutions in the cloud, you know, telehealth solutions or, you know, other sorts of digital health analytics solutions. Anything patient-facing is kind of inherently needs to be in the cloud because it the patient is not in your data center. So all of these new entrants are, are pouring into the market with new modern technology stacks, delivering solutions with modern business models. And yeah, getting back to your question, they need to figure out how to exchange data with health systems. And today that's done in a couple different ways. Either the health system has enough foresight to see that. And so the health system uses tools to make that process easier. So they'll build an API layer on top of their data center. They'll kind of create processes and governance to allow that to happen more effectively. Um, I think, you know, some of the most innovative health systems out there were early in doing this process where they said, okay, you know, we need to start looking at our EHR as a platform, as the backbone that all these other applications will, will be set up on top of. So that they started building these things. The problem with this solution is that 
it's different at every health organization. So you go to the one that Kaiser built, it's going to be different than the one that Cleveland Clinic built and different than Intermountains. And so from a scalability perspective of a cloud vendor, it doesn't really help that much because- Even you know, though it might be the same company or same system that's deployed at those different locations, it's going to be deployed differently in yeah, each one of those? Is, yeah. Exactly. Because the underlying data is going to be different because of the 30 years of customization that they've had uh, around their EHR and their workflows and how everything works. So that data layer- will reflect that difference of that customization. So, you know, this this is a big reason why the standardization has become such a, a big topic. So we have uh, FHIR mm-hmm. that came about, which is the modern, the latest modern attempt at standardizing these data. You know, HL7 has rallied around it to help develop it further. But in a lot of ways, FHIR is taking on the same shape as a lot of the other old standards that we had that were kind of designed to Uh, meet all the needs of an existing healthcare organization and the customizations that have happened. So FHIR has inherently built in uh, essentially choices you can make when implementing FHIR based on your underlying data set, which means that it it won't be perfectly interoperable between different organizations. It still needs to be standardized at some level. And, you know, we're seeing the adoption of that kind of start to become more officially mandated by the government as these new interoperability legislation comes to play. So, so that, that's kind of one solution. The other solutions on the vendor side, so as a software vendor uh, selling into many, many health organizations, how do you actually account for all the different ways that you're going to run into data? And a lot of the ways that vendors do that is to build a team, build a, an integration team to build and manage these connections over time. And what we saw as we started working with vendors is that about a third generally like 25% to a third of their development team was focused on building and maintaining these integrations. And this is huge because really the, the, what the cloud and SaaS has provided is, is such that as you, you know, in, in other industries, what it's provided is that you can scale a product without having to scale engineering. If you have product market fit, you can kind of um, start scaling sales and marketing and your, your product should be able to maintain between, you know, one and and end customers because the cloud can kind of scale horizontally to maintain, you know, the increase in volume of data and usage of your your product. But what we see in healthcare is because of this integration problem, they have to scale their engineering team as their number of customers scale. And and that creates a whole different sort of dynamic in uh, how to grow a software company in healthcare. And a huge problem for people trying to take the rule book from outside of healthcare and bring it into healthcare because of these underlying costs that are going to be inherent to growing a product in healthcare. And that right there is the exact problem that Redox has set out to solve. Yeah, I was just going to say, you've just listed two potential solutions and neither one of them are, number one, very good. And number two, they're <laughs> different to what Redox is doing. So how are you guys approaching it? Yeah, well, so in, in what we're doing is not rocket science. It's not a hard concept to understand. Essentially, each one of those vendors had to grow their own integration team and build and maintain integrations to make it work with their app. Essentially, Redox is just doing that centrally. So instead of you know 10 vendors doing it 10 times, we do it once and then the 10 vendors use it. So we're simply centralizing this business process mm-hmm. that all of these different vendors have to do and making it available and amortizing the cost of that across the entire network. So at the beginning, you know, at, at the beginning, when we started the company, we were very much losing money on integrations because we're trying to charge a price that's below people doing it on their own and centralizing all of the work. And so if we have one customer, we're, we're simply just outsourcing, but doing it poorly because we're sure. losing money on it. But as our network has grown to, you know, the 450 health systems that we're in now, that infrastructure is being used by, you know, one connection to a health system will be used by multiple applications. So we can start to see the efficiency gains come about from 
sharing that cost across the network. So we're, we're essentially structurally changing the way that data is transferred from everyone doing it point to point on their own to centralizing that process in kind of a hub and spoke model where once Redox does it once, then it's way easier and cheaper for you to license access to it than to build it on your own. And the way that we see this is that integration interoperability should be a commodity. It should not be the differentiator for a product. It should be something that is cheaply and easily available to everybody. And something that's really kind of priced on the margin, like a commodity, where you know you simply get access to it and then you innovate on top of that. And so that's what we're trying to build here. So over time, as our network grows, we, we would really like to figure out ways to drop pricing as close to cost as possible because we've essentially shared those costs across the entire network. And that's that's what's exciting about what we're building is that, you know we're not outsourcing for people. We're creating a network that's fundamentally solving the problem in a different way. Yeah. And as you grow with your success, then your capability is going to be uh, broader and uh, you're going to have more things to attract more customers. So it's a very good circle that you're creating there. So where should listeners go to find out more about what you're working on? Yeah. Uh, our website, redoxengine.com. Uh, we have a blog that I think is pretty good. <laughs> I was going to encourage people to actually go check it out. You do have a lot of great articles. I've noticed that, I mean, you, you've posted many of these yourself and I encourage people to go to redoxengine.com and check that out. We'll also include a link to your LinkedIn profile on the show notes for this episode. Great. Any other resources or tools they should get into? Or if you want to give out your email address here, we don't put that on the website, but we do like to give it out to listeners if you're happy for people to contact you or uh, one of your departments directly. Yeah, yeah, of course. My email address is nico, N-I-K-O, at redoxengine.com. And yeah, I, I, I love responding to folks and hopping on calls and stuff. So always happy to brainstorm about interesting things. Also come by to one of our taco parties, like you mentioned, um, pretty much the the big conferences in, in healthcare where we try to throw taco parties at it because tacos are ubiquitously loved by everybody. And, you know, it's a little off the beaten path, which I think fits in well with just our brand in general. Listen, thanks so much for being a part of the program. Wish you a lot of success. Come back and let us know as you raise your next round and have more milestones. And you're always welcome here on the program. Great. Thanks so much for having me. This is fun. That was Nico Skavosky, the co-founder and president of Redox. Be sure to visit the website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 84 and grab all the links to the items we discussed. While you're looking at your phone, please take a moment to give us a quick review on iTunes. You can also email me directly at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com with any feedback or suggestions. As always, thanks to our sponsors for supporting our programming. And thanks to you for tuning in and helping to push the industry forward. I'll speak with you soon in episode 85. And until next time, keep on innovating.